Good morning, everybody. Why don't you greet your neighbor beside you? Say, it's awful good to see you this morning. If you don't have a neighbor, pat yourself on the shoulder. Everybody should have a neighbor. <clears throat> We're packed in here like sardines this morning. It's good to see you if you're a guest of ours. We just want to thank you for being here. So if, if you're kind of new to us, there's all, all, always new folks moving in and around here. I, I want to tell you that there is going to be room for you and for others to invite. Uh, we, we did two services for a while, and we decided, hey, we'd, we, we actually prefer one service. And so our next option was to renovate this, this building over here that had more space. And, I, and we're hoping, we're, we're starting that process right now. We want to thank everybody that's, that's pitched in to help. A lot of people have done some work over there already, and, uh, and we appreciate those guys for doing that. And we're continuing. We're starting the work over in that building, and there's going to be more space for everybody. Somebody say hallelujah. We appreciate it. Yeah, praise God. All right. And, and so if, you, if you've given to that project, we want to thank you for your generosity. If by some reason the Lord leads you to give into that again, hey, we're open to it. Amen. I mean, just pray about it. See what he says. It's a big project, but we're looking so forward to doing that. And I, th I think we'll be in by May at the latest. That's what I think. So I'm, I'm excited about it. I would give you a sooner date, but then it wouldn't come maybe, and then they'd be like, he's a, he's a liar. You know, so everybody would get mad at me, and I don't want that to happen, you know, so... So let's just say May and let's pray. Would you pray with me about that, that, that the Lord just gives us favor as we go in that process? Y'all know how it is when you're doing work and got people contracted to do stuff and things like that. So we got a lot of stuff going on over there, but uh, we're excited about it. Also, next steps, if you're new to us, We'd love to get to know you, and uh, Next Steps is just a process where you can at least find out a little bit about our church with step one. If you meet me and you're like, I don't much care for it, you can bail out on the Next Steps. And, uh, but we'd love to meet you. Step one will be uh, right after service, about 12 o'clock. We'll meet over in this other building in the conference room, so we'd love to see you for that today. Uh, right after service, if you are interested. But we are in a sermon series, and this is actually the third installment of a seven-part series it's going to culminate on Easter. And these are the seven sayings of Jesus in John. We talked about how there were seven different sets of sevens in John. And, and in one specific thing, Jesus says, I am, and then he'll list something that he is. He says, I am the door in this particular instance is in John chapter 10. So I want to begin reading from John chapter 10, one of the seven sayings of Jesus in the book of John. I am the door. Here's what it says in verse 1, John chapter 10. It says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. And then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it 
more abundantly. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And this morning, Lord, I, I sense your, your spirit here, your presence, and I'm just asking you, God, that you would take the word of life, you would anoint it by your spirit, you would give us ears to hear, because God, for many of us, you're speaking the, the same thing, but for some of us, you've got something very specific to certain hearts, and there are doors that I have no doubt you're opening in, in people's lives this morning. So God, we just pray that our ears and our hearts would be open to hear and to receive, and that, God, you would do a transformative work in our lives this morning through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, I, I, doors are important, right? Y'all feel that way about doors? I feel that way about doors. I mean, right now that door, you cannot access it from the outside because for some reason while we were praying and fasting, that lock broke. And we just ain't got it fixed since. We ain't had anybody come in and fix it. But it's important. Thank God we got some other side doors or we wouldn't have access to this building. Amen. Isn't that great? Uh, you know, I feel like doors, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in my life about doors. People all the time, hey, what's the code to this door? What's the code to that door? Can I get a key to that door? Everybody wants some access to different kinds of doors, and we got keypads and access codes. And I was thinking about doors this week, and y'all ever, there was uh, some kind of a show back in the day or something like that about 40 Thieves, Alibaba or something like that, and he'd say, Open Sesame was the secret code for this door to open so he could go in to get the treasure. Some of you Lord of the Rings fans, if you, if you watch that before they come to the doors of, I think it's Doreen, and they have to, there's, a, there's a code that has to be spoken over this door to get access into this entrance. And as I'm thinking about all of these things, I think, you know, Jesus is kind of the same way because He is the Word of God eternal. Something spoken that opens up a door of all of the things that we need access to in our lives. In John chapter 1, Jesus is the Word of God. He's the eternal Word of God that took on flesh. He is what God has to say. He is the spoken Word of God manifested in flesh. If you want to know, well, what does God have to say about it? Look at Jesus. Jesus is what God has to say. But He is the spoken Word that shows up on the scene. And not only is He the spoken Word of God, not only is the bread of life, is He the light of the world, but He is the door, He says. He is a Word that is spoken that opens the door and grants you access to all that God truly is in this world. Because here's the thing. We need, if we, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but in this world we need salvation. We need somebody to save us. A lot of times we hope political leaders may do it or the guy that we vote for may do it or somebody will come on the scene that will shift some things but can I tell you that ultimately God is the only Savior in this world Jesus Christ is the only Savior he's the only one that can grant you eternal life so many of us we're fighting to try to try to avoid death we want to avoid aging anybody in here amen me we, we want to avoid all of these things. We want to avoid destruction. We want our family to be happy. We want to avoid fear. We want to experience peace. And Jesus is the door, the only door to salvation, to peace, to everlasting life. He is the only door that will allow you to live forever. And that's so important to understand because... There's so many different doors in this life that we could open up to. There's so many different doors that we seek to walk through, hoping it will give us access into something in our lives. But the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus is the only door that brings us into everlasting life and brings us into true connection with God. You know, actually, the Jewish people, I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of on this thing where I want to bring out a Hebrew nugget every week right now because I love it, so y'all open to it? Okay. I got a Hebrew nugget for you here. I was, I was reading this this week. Yahweh is the name of God and that, that Jews, were, they wouldn't even speak it. It was so sacred, so holy, that whenever they were writing, you'd 
hey, vav, hey, down on paper to pin his name, they would go and cleanse themselves and wash their hands, write yud, hey, vav, hey, and then go and cleanse themselves again, and they would not speak the name of Yahweh because it was that sacred and that holy. It was the name of the eternal God that created all things. That's how, that's how they viewed that. But what was interesting is they had a very particular belief because Judah, we know that Jesus came from what tribe? Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah, and they believed the, same, the word for Judah is not you, and it reads right to left, yud hey vav hey, and Judah is yud hey vav deled hey. It's the exact same letters as Yahweh himself, except there's one letter that is added, and that is Delet. And Delet is the fourth letter of the alphabet, and it represents the door. And therefore, they believed throughout the centuries that the door of the Lord would come through the tribe of Judah. The door that would give us access back to our Creator, who understood our original design, who knew that we were broken in sin, who knew that we would need salvation and we would need access back into God, that there would be some blood applied to a specific door, and that door would come through the tribe of Judah, and through that door you would have access back to the true worship of Yahweh. Now, y'all didn't get near as excited as I did about that, but man, it's still good, so I'm happy about it. Now, when Jesus starts talking about him being the door, and he says, okay, I am the door, he's, he's, he's speaking this in context, because if you read in John chapter 9, there was a man that was blind from birth. And this man that was blind from birth shows up on the scene, and Jesus goes up to him, and he puts some spit and mud in his eye, which is pretty awesome. I mean, just think about a guy. I mean, I'd be like, dude, hold off a minute. I mean, I know I'm blind, but mud in my eye, you're spit, gross. He does it anyway and says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And he goes and washes in the pool of Siloam and he came back seeing. Well, the religious leaders get really upset about that. They said, who is this man that performs these signs? We know this man's a sinner. He doesn't even keep the Sabbath. And they get all uptight about some of the rituals. Now, here's what you have to understand is Jesus never actually broke the Sabbath. What he broke were man-made commandments that religious leaders added on to the law of God. Jesus never actually broke the Sabbath, and Jesus even taught that I am the Sabbath. I am the rest that the Sabbath represents. And he said that, that the Sabbath was made for the man and not man for the Sabbath. You're misinterpreting the laws. But these men said, no, 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 no. We, don't, we, we know that this man is a sinner. How has he done these signs? And he said, well, what are you talking about? How has he done these signs? I mean, all I know, I don't know who this man is. All I know is once I was blind, now I can see. Now they show up and they say, well, let's, let's get some more proof. Bring his parents in. So they bring his parents in. Is this your boy? They said, yeah, this is our boy. He said, was he blind from birth? We know he's blind from birth. Well, how did he get healed? We don't know how he got healed. You ask him. And they didn't want to talk anymore about it because they knew that those religious leaders had said, if anybody calls this man Jesus the Christ, they're going to be kicked out of the synagogue. And to be kicked out of the synagogue was to be cut off from Jewish life. You didn't get a fellowship with your brothers and sisters anymore. You didn't get a worship God in the temple. You were cut off from all religious life and social life in that place. And so they were saying, no, nah, we don't want to really tell you that. We don't know. You ask him. And so they interrogate him a little more deeply. And as they're, they're talking to him about how he was, he was made whole, he tells them, he says, listen, why do you want to know so bad? I already told you about the signs that he committed or that he's done and how he healed me and I was born blind. He said, do you want to worship him also? Well, they get madder than fire. They call him a bad name. They say, you're an illegitimate son. You were born in sin. They get angry, these religious leaders do. And they cast him out of the temple. And Jesus realizes that they have casted him out of the temple. And he comes to him and he says, hey, 
Do you believe in the Son of God? He said, who is, him that I'm, who is he that he may believe? He says, I'm the one that I'm speaking with you. I am the Son of God. And he says, Lord, I believe. And he began to worship him. Now, all of those Pharisees, they should have known. When this man was teaching them, they should have known. There were three specific signs that the Hebrew people believed that the Messiah would come and do. They believed that he could heal leprosy because you weren't even allowed to touch a leper. And what does Jesus do? He, the Messiah, when he comes up, he heals somebody of leprosy just by touching them. They believed that the Messiah would cast a demon out of a mute person because the only way they could cast demons out of people is if they got the demon to name themselves. Well, Jesus cast a demon out of a mute guy. And then he shows up on the scene and they said the only the thing that the Messiah would do that would distinguish them other than those two signs was that he would heal a man blind, uh, blind from birth because you would have to recreate the cornea and the eyes within the sockets themselves. And he recreated them. And so this guy is saying, you guys mean to tell me that you know what God is going to do when the Messiah comes. And, and he healed me, born blind from birth. How is it that you're actually really the ones that are blind and you don't see that this is the one? And then he turns in John chapter 10 and he says, I am the door. He says, all the others that came before me, he said, they are thieves and robbers and they came to steal from you because they're not going in by the door. Every other religious leader throughout history that does not go in by Jesus Christ, every preacher on Sunday that doesn't ultimately point you to the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ is a thief and a robber coming to steal something from you because Jesus is the door. He's the only door. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And Christian people exist not to be better than the world around them, but they exist to point people to the door. And he says the doorkeeper opens up and he lets them in and out. The doorkeeper is the Holy Spirit. And this morning, we're hoping that the doorkeeper will open the door up so that we can see Jesus more clearly than we ever have before. And somebody that's teaching Jesus opens that door by the power of the Holy Spirit so that they can see him more clearly. And he says, look, it's a good thing. You get cast out of dead religion, y'all, count it a good thing. I'm telling you, so many people in our world today, have been raised up in dead religion just like this man had. And the truth of the matter is, is that spiritually they are blind. Spiritually, he said, he said, how is it that I was actually physically blind, but you're so spiritually blind, you don't see that a real relationship with Jesus Christ has always been the answer. It's not church attendance. It's not some type of denomination. It's not the doctrine that your daddy's pastor taught your whole life. It is a living relationship with the person of Jesus Christ that you need. And my question today is, is do you have that living relationship or have you been blinded by dead religion? Jesus is the good shepherd who leads people out of dead religion and through the door of a right relationship with God through him. Amen. And that is one of the most simple truths in the gospel, but somehow we miss it. Somehow we're blinded to it. And Jesus invites us into that. And I want to say this because when Jesus uses this illustration, he, within the same little section there, he says, I'm the door and I'm the good shepherd. So i got to figure out a way to focus in on the door so we can have plenty of good stuff for good shepherd next week. Amen. So we're going to hone in here on the door. And my first point to you is that Jesus opens doors of opportunity. Jesus opens doors of opportunity. And doors are an enormous part of our lives. The average person walks through over 50 doors a day. We've got to get, use a door to get into our car, to get into our bathrooms, to get into this church. And in the Scripture... Doors speak of opportunity. For example, in 2 Corinthians 2.12, 2 
Paul says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. The Lord opened a door for him to go into this particular place and preach the gospel. Jesus wrote seven letters to seven churches in the book of Revelation, which is tied into the book of John because John wrote both of those books. And he writes to a lot of different churches. There's seven churches in the book of Revelation. And for each of the churches, he basically has a word of correction for them. He says, you need to straighten up here in some areas. You're blowing it in this area. You're doing good here, but you're missing it here. And you need to repent and go back to what you were doing, what I called you to do, lest I come and remove your candlestick from its place. But there's one church in particular, the Church of Philadelphia, which is the Church of Brotherly Love. And this church, it, it exists, and, and Jesus has no rebuke for it. He only says how well they're doing in all these different areas. And for them, he says something very specific. He says, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, this is Revelation 3, verse 7, these things says he who is holy and he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. You know how like when you're doing things good, like if, 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 if you play video games, which I don't, but I used to, and you know how if you beat the boss at the, end of a at the end of a level, what do you get? You get an open door to the next level, don't you? And I think a lot of times in our lives, when we pass tests and when we go through seasons and challenges of difficulty, when even our church grows and we, we're, people are being equipped and people are stepping out in faith, all of a sudden God says, you've passed that test, you've beat that devil, now I'm opening a door to a new level. And, and, and God is moving us, I believe, even into a new level. And I think many of you, God, God is opening to you a door to a new level. He says, see, I've set before you an open door, and no man can shut this door. It's a door of great opportunity. But you know, like I know, that opportunities can be very scary and intimidating. How many of you, when you know, like if, if you're going in, you're getting married for the first time, it's a new door, it's a new way of life, you don't know how to live with that person yet, it's going to be wild, y'all. It's going to be different. It's intimidating. Some of y'all, you don't have kids. You have that first kid. A new door comes in your life. It's, hey, it's a, it's a whole new world, a whole new door. you got a new job with new people. God's calling you into a ministry. So many people in our church here recently, like God calls them into ministries outside of the church where they're working in the community. They're so nervous and, 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 and worried about what's going on. And, you know, I, t I told Richard the other day, he, had, he, he got into this ministry. He's got FCA going. We've got like four people in our church preaching to sports teams in the community. And I think that's amazing. And Richard was like, hey, you want to go and speak to these kids one morning? And I said, dude, I think you're the one to speak to that. That's your door. Door, you need to walk through it and sometimes there's doors that God opens to you and you say well now nah, I just rely on somebody else who can do it better than me or or I'll trust them to do the ministry and God's saying no 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 this is your door you have to walk through it my friend because if you don't walk through this door and face this challenge and overcome this fear you're not going to receive the anointing that comes on the other side of that door Amen. and you have to be willing to walk through that you have to be willing to press in and take that new opportunity that God is bringing into your life. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 8 and 9, Paul said, I'll stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. 
Now, I love that too because he says there's this great door in Ephesus. And because, because there was a great door open to him, he stayed in Ephesus for three years. And man, he had people practicing witchcraft that opposed him. He had people that were worshiping Artemis that opposed him. He had the Roman government that wanted to kill him. I mean, thing, he had some people in opposition. But can I tell you this? Not every open door is going to be easy. Sometimes you got to open door for effective work and you know what part of going through that door is going to mean. You're going to face many adversaries and much opposition. Because the enemy don't want you walking through doors. He doesn't want you stepping out in faith and believing God for more. He wants you to stay exactly where you are or move back one. But God is saying, no, 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 now is the time of the open door in your life. And I want you to step into faith into some greater areas and some greater capacities and to believe God for greater things than you ever have. There are doors of opportunity that are coming to fruition in our life. And I just want to say, I don't know who this is going to hit this morning. I was, when we were here, here this, this morning, I really feel like God is getting ready to open some doors for us. I feel like as a church... We're at a season where God has equipped people in the body. And here's the thing. It's not just about what we do in here on Sunday mornings or what we do in small groups, even though that's great, man. We thank God for that. But I believe that God is opening doors to us outside of these walls, in our families, in our community, on sports teams, in the school system. I believe that right, right now there's so much talk about how the enemy has infiltrated the school systems. And I believe that maybe even just for a season, God may open a door to us to the school systems in order to begin to speak the word of God boldly at whatever cost comes to us so that the young people of this generation may be safe and that door may even come through our young people I don't know what God's going to do but you have to believe God for open doors you have to trust that he is going to move in these situations I believe that Chad's hope is about to experience an open door I don't even know if Forrest is here this morning but I feel like because they have been faithful with what God has given them and not went other directions in other ways, but over the years they have remained faithful to what God is calling them to do, that God is about to open them a door of great increase and they are going to see more and more people delivered and set free from drug addiction because they have been faithful. God's about to open another door to them. I'm just, I just believe that in my heart. That's what I'm praying for. And sometimes that's what you have to do. You have to begin to believe and you have to recognize there, there are open doors for ministry. And you have to enter through the doors that God has opened to you presently and seize those opportunities. Now Jesus revealed himself as the one who had the key of David. Is what he said. And he opens doors that no man can shut and he shuts doors that no man can open. Acts 14, 27, it says, Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that... He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. We should be praying, God, would you open the door of faith to my family members? Would you open the door of faith within this community that when we preach the gospel, because here's the thing, you can't persuade anybody to be a Christian. You can't preach effectively enough for somebody to just say, oh, that made perfect sense. Now I'm a Christian. No, God opens the door of faith in their lives and all of a sudden you begin to see people come to Christ. And this is why Paul even prayed in Colossians 4, verse 3 and 4. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I also am in chains, that I may make it manifest and preach it clearly as I ought to speak. He says, pray that God would open a door for the word. Y'all ever got a door for the word in somebody's life? Sometimes I've tried to kick doors down, you know what I'm saying? I, I go at all the wrong times, sometimes in all the wrong places. There ain't a door open and I preach the gospel and all I get is, is some backlash. 
I remember preaching to one guy in particular. I wanted him to be saved so bad, man. I was on fire for Jesus. I'd preach to anybody at the drop of a hat. I'd go up here in Walmart, stand in a, in a group of kids, and I'd start to preach the gospel, and not much would happen. Amen. I tried it. thought I was being nice and obedient. And I remember preaching to one guy one time, and, man, he rejected me outright. He got mad at me, cussed me a little bit. I said, Lord, what's the deal there? I felt like, you, I, mean, I, I, felt like I was led to speak to this man. And the Lord said, I want, uh, you've planted the seed. I want you to be patient and wait for the open door. And I prayed for him, and I prayed for him. And a year passed by, a little bit longer passed by, and all of a sudden, he calls me. And there was an open door for the word. And when I spoke the word to this man, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. There was an open door that came for the word. We need to pray for open doors in these people's lives. And if you're sensitive to the spirit. See, because sometimes you go and you try to kick in that door and you think, well, that doesn't work. And then you don't share your, your, your faith and the gospel with anybody else anymore. But you're praying, God, open these doors and so that I can be sensitive. Now, we're to go out and share the gospel regardless. You don't have to feel a big chill on the back of your spine to go share the gospel. You need to share the gospel and follow the Holy Spirit. But there's moments where God opens the door for the word for people to be saved. And we've got to understand... A part of this aspect of Jesus saying that he has the key of David, I believe, is because we look to David and we understand that David was a, was a man after God's own heart. Y'all know a lot about David being in this church because we believe in worship and praise. We believe that worship and praise open spiritual doors. Praise does something in the spirit. You come in here all depressed because you filled yourself with garbage all week, and you can enter into a place of praise and worship, and God can start to break burdens off of you. Doors are open in the Spirit, and God begins to move. And, and David lived this kind of a life. If you read the Psalms, David was a man of prayer. He was a man that praised God even in the most difficult circumstances of his life. And what, he, what, what you'd find is that when he was in some of the darkest places, he would begin to worship and praise God and lift up his prayer, and God would open a door of deliverance for him. Over and over and over again, you see that in his life. And sometimes, though, we experience closed doors. And that's something that you have to accept from God. Acts 16, verse 6 and 7, it says, When they had gone through Phrygia and the region, region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Why would you be forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in particular? At that particular time, if they'd have went there, perhaps they would have gotten killed and not been able to preach in other locations. So the Holy Spirit closed the door in that place. And it says they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them because the Spirit had other plans where there were open doors. Amen. Amen. Preaching better than y'all shouting this morning. Verse 14, same chapter. It said, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us, she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God and the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And all of a sudden there's an open door in this area. The Lord opens her heart and they begin to minister the gospel in this location. Now there's an open door there for them to minister the gospel. And you know what happens? A woman shows up that is fortune-telling, and she is possessed by a spirit of python, it says in the Greek. She had a spirit of divination where she could tell fortunes. She could tell your future. She could do all kinds of things. And people say, well, is that stuff real? It's absolutely real. It's demonic, but it's real, isn't it? Yeah. Amen. So, so there, she is gaining all kinds of money through this divination practice, and she follows Paul and Silas around and says, these are the men of the Most High God who have come to show you the way of salvation. She's got good theology. Those are men of the Most High God who have come to show you the way of salvation. But the problem was, is it was a demon spirit trying to link itself to them. And Paul 
puts up with it a couple of days, and finally says, man, that spirit ain't God's spirit. He turns to the spirit and says, I command you to come out in the name of Jesus. The spirit left her, and they recognized immediately that she lost her fortune-telling powers. So they didn't have no money anymore. You know what they did to Paul and Silas? They threw them in the inner prisons and fastened them in stocks. And while they're fastening, at, at midnight, Paul and Silas are in the bottom of this prison. Now, i got to be honest with you. If I had just went through this and preached the gospel here and been forbidden there and went through all these hard times and then there's an open door to me to preach the gospel, the Lord opens somebody's heart, and then I cast the demon out of a woman in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they put me in the inner dungeons in a prison, I'd probably be in the prison complaining. Can somebody amen me this morning? What do you want, God? I mean, what, what, what all do I have to do to, to get it to work out? But you know what they do? He knows they are rooted and grounded in the key of David. They understand that when you're fighting a spiritual war, you're going to have many adversaries and much opposition. It's going to get difficult at times. Sometimes when you're moving in to the presence of God and into the deeper things of God, you're going to face opposition. But that can't change your heart toward God. And you've got to hold on to the key of David because there are greater doors when you face greater opposition. And at midnight, rather than complain, they started, it said, to praise God and to sing hymns unto God out loud and to pray. And it says, and the prisoners heard them. The prisoners heard them. And all of a sudden, immediately, the Bible says, their chains were loosed and every door was opened. Think about that. Because what chains are you currently carrying? What difficulties are you currently under? What sins have you committed that have bound you up and is, is keeping you from moving forward with God? What shame has just overshadowed your life to where you feel like every door is closed in on you and there is no way forward? I'm telling you, if you will come to this Jesus Christ, to this door, and say, Lord, here it is. Here's my sin. Here's where I'm broken. Here's where I'm laid bare. I need you to come in. And you start to praise God and worship God, every door will start to open and you'll see a path out of the prison that you're currently in i believe that with all of my heart i believe that jesus wants to open doors in people's lives and they were singing those hymns and this new opportunity came open for them and they were loosed from that prison and god had a way so what i'm saying is when it looks dark when it looks like you're bound up man god is not finished if you'll simply believe there's still doors that he's yet to open that he needs to open but he needs your faith he needs your belief there's new doors there's new opportunities but to get through a door you need a point of entry, don't you? I mean, you like to get through it. How many of y'all you ever been to Dollywood? I know everybody in here, you been. I know you been. Y'all love it, too. You love it. Love it. I like it. I mean, I like Dollywood. I got nothing against Dollywood. But one time I went, and when we pulled into the place, I'm telling you, I think it was like two or three hours before we got parked. We pu I pulled into Dollywood, and I had all this anticipation, man, the rides. The funnel cakes, the glory of Dollywood. I mean, I was—I I felt like I felt like I would, just, you know, I, I was so I was so eager and excited, but yet I saw the entrance way up there. But I mean, it was just packed bumper to bumper for miles, and I thought, man, we're never going to get to that. We're never going to get to that door to enter into the glory of Dollywood. <laughs> Y'all laugh, like you know. One time, one time I went to Dollywood, though, and there wasn't that many people there. Justin and Jessica, give me one of them one pass, a fast pass. I mean, you, you, talk, you talk about holy. I mean, you had all these kids. I had, like, these 10-year-old kids on the ride in the real line. I just walked by them, punks. 
I, fa- I fast passed them, son, to the gate, to the door to get on that ride. But here, <laughs> I'm preaching now. Hallelujah. Fast past them little punks. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. The entire Old Testament is exactly that story. They're sitting in a bumper-to-bumper line of traffic of sin and shame and rebellion and condemnation and, and just judgment from God. They hear the prophet saying, up there's the gate, the Messiah's coming. There's the door into, into forgiveness of sin and wholeness and a new heart and a new mind and the Spirit indwelling you and eternal life and our sins put away and no more sacrifice and the desire of all nations coming. It's coming, it's up there. And they saw it year after year after year, but it was a line of bumper-to-bumper traffic and then all of a sudden after after 400 years of silence, which is what I felt like in that car while I was trying to get into Dollywood, all of a sudden Jesus shows up and says, I'm the door. You come in at this access point and your sins are going to be forgiven and put away. You're going to have a new heart and a new mind. I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to show you a way of life to live in this world in which you will overcome the world and the powers of darkness. And on the other side of death, death will not touch you any longer because I will raise you up at that last day. This is a new kingdom. This is a new life. And he says you don't have to wait any longer because I am the door. I'm the entry point now and you can have to peace to know that is your reality. That's your reality now. Amen. Jesus is the door. Jesus, number two, my second point is that he closes the doors on darkness. He opens doors of opportunity, but he also closes the doors on darkness. And this is an important point because the same way that you can come and worship and you can pray and you can Walk with God. You can open yourself to the Holy Spirit. Do you know that you can commit and act in ways that open yourselves to the powers of darkness? And there's ways that the enemy, the enemy is always looking for legal access into our life. Because the the, the demonic Satan, he has no power and authority in and of himself. He has to usurp your own authority. He has to get you to agree with him in order for him to get access into your life. But one of the ways that he comes, the first way that he comes, I think, oftentimes... And I'm not going to give you everywhere, but every way, but one of the main ways is fear. And the first and most frequently encountered, I think, of the doors that darkness opens is, is fear. And in fear, what you really have is you've got worry, you've got unbelief, you've got need for control, you've got anxiety, you've got isolation, and then you have apathy because you're so afraid of what might could happen. And the key is that you have to understand, in order for Jesus to close the door on fear, you've got to recognize, what lies have I actually believed? What lies have I actually believed and agreed with? Because a lot of times we don't trust that God will protect us. And when we don't trust He's going to protect us, we have a fear of death. When we don't trust that God will provide for us, we have a fear of poverty. That there's not going to be enough. And when things don't work out how we expected them to work out when we prayed one time, now we have a fear of failure and we don't believe that God's going to come through for us. How many of y'all you ever slipped into that fear? 
I can't tell you the number of times even within this church the enemy comes to sow a doubt and a lie in my mind that says this thing's going to crumble, son. You ain't going to make it. People aren't going to be saved. You might as well throw in the towel now. You might as well give up now. And you know what happens? Every now and then I'll give in to it for a minute. I'll wallow in that lie for a day or two, but I'll come back to God's Word and I'll say this is God's truth. This is what He speaks over my life. This is the reality. This is what He's going to do in my life. And fear you will not overcome me because I belong to Jesus as we sang earlier. And you have to renounce those lies of fear and say I'm going to trust Jesus no matter the cost. And Jesus I'm asking you right now to shut the door on these lies that I have believed and shut the door on fear so that now I can move into a place of faith to believe you for greater things. Jesus shuts the door on fear and opens the door for faith in our life. Another door that he closes is bitterness, and this is important. I'm just hitting some of the highlights of doors of darkness that you need to understand. But bitterness is such a big one because the demonic runs roughshod over the people of God through unforgiveness. I mean, he does it all the time. He stirs up one to hurt this one's feelings and stirs up one to cause problems here and somebody commits sin against us or does evil to us and bitterness gets into our heart and we choose to not forgive them. And when we look at these people that have hurt us or sinned against us, we, we, we believe that Jesus has forgiven us but for some reason, the way that they've wounded us doesn't seem the same, the same way that we've wounded God. And we say, even though God has forgiven me, I'm unwilling to forgive you. And hatred and bitterness comes into our heart. And we don't realize it, but we open a door to the demonic that brings us and enslaves us in our own prison. And I've seen so many people get delivered and set free when they were finally able to vocalize the forgiveness of the people that wounded them and hurt them and say it out of their mouth and say, Lord Jesus, you have forgiven me of my sin. I'm forgiving them for what they've done. I'm releasing them to you, God. I'm laying nothing longer into their charge, and I'm asking you to heal my wounded heart. And when people do that, they get set free because they close the door on bitterness, and, they open, and Jesus opens the door to love and forgiveness. Somebody amen me this morning. That is important. The third one is sexual sin. And I, want to, I didn't add it on here this morning. I forgot to. But I want to add on to this one. It's sexual sin, abuse, and shame. Those three things often work together with demonic practices. And here's the thing. Satan knows how powerful sex is. Somebody said, well, Clay, talk about sex again in the church. Well, if Satan uses it so much to enslave people, then I'm going to preach about it in order for you, for you to get set free from the slavery that comes from the abuse of it. Yeah. Amen. Because he uses it to enslave people on a daily ba basis and he abuses people through it and then he brings shame into their life and he enslaves them because of what they have done or what has been done to them. But can I tell you this, as strong as sex is and the amount that it causes, it, it, it can be used for harm. It's a great thing done in covenant and done in the right way. But, but here's the thing, when it is improperly used, it binds us up and brings us into a prison of shame. But Jesus says, if you will give me that Sin, and you will bring it to me and you will renounce it and renounce the soul ties with it I will come into your shame I will heal your heart I will forgive you and I will give you a new start Amen. I will clean you up he closes the door on shame and he opens a door to holiness and purity and a cleansing of the blood that only he can bring yeah. and the last door that I want to talk about that he closes the door on in darkness is the occult and here's something interesting. you say well what is the occult the occult consists of astrology fortune-telling tarot cards seances, Ouija boards, manipulation, participation in covens, casting curses, new age religion, and witchcraft practices, and that's just to name a few. Somebody said, oh my gosh, Clay, you getting into that this morning? You would be amazed at the number of people in our generation 
that are exposed to this stuff on a daily basis. Your children get on their iPads, they see these practices on a daily basis, and they unknowingly engage in demonic activity. There are people in this church, there are people that I meet on a regular basis that have engaged in this activity, but here's what happens. When they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, I didn't know what was going on. I repent. I'm turning this over to you. I renounce any involvement with the witchcraft that I've been involved with. What they see is a freedom and a deliverance that comes into their life. Jesus shuts the door on that darkness and opens up to them the power of the Holy Spirit and no longer are they bound by that darkness. So here's the thing that you need to understand. There is more and more of this stuff going on in our world today than ever before, at least in America. And you have to be aware of it. You can't treat it like it's something that's taboo and we shouldn't talk about in the church. Satan is stealing people's power and he's bringing them into bondage because they're believing lies and practicing occult practices. Even if you just bring certain things into your house, you'd be amazed at the kind of freedom that I found when people get set free from these things. Are y'all good? So Jesus closes the doors on those darkness. He opens doors of opportunity. But then here's my last one, and Jesus is the door to these promises. And the first promise that he gives us is protection. In Christ Jesus, there is protection because Jesus says this in the text in John 10, 9. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me... He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Y'all know this Greek word. Some of you do. The Greek word for saved is a Greek word called sozo. And the word in in its full usage is much deeper than just going to heaven when you die. It means to save, to heal, to preserve, and to rescue. Literally, the phrase would mean to deliver out of danger and into safety. But see, the thing about it is, is on our most basic level, the danger that we had was living in our own sin and the judgment that we were going to incur because of that sin, right? See, we were all sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But what Jesus does is He comes and He dies in our place. And the beauty of the gospel is this, is that Jesus, who never committed one sin, went to the cross and wore your sin and shame as if it was His own and as if He had committed every sin that you and I committed. And He bore the punishment that He didn't deserve so that there could be an exchange. He became sin who knew no sin on the cross so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Him. There was an exchange. He took my sin and now it's a gift of righteousness where he clothes me and imputes that righteousness to me. And it's not based on anything that I have done or will ever done. He gives me that gift of righteousness where I can stand pure before a holy God. Not based on my works but based on his. And there's a transference there. And in that transference there's safety. You say, well, what do you mean by that? What what kind of safety are we talking about? You remember in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus when the death angel was going to pass over, it says the destroyer was going to pass over in that particular time, Exodus 12, 7. And it says, and they shall take some of the blood of a lamb and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel. So they're going to put blood on both sides of the door and on the top of the door of the houses where they eat it. And now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And this is a symbol of what Jesus would become. He became our Passover lamb. And what he's saying is they would go in and they would take the blood of this lamb and apply it to the sides of the doorpost and the top in the shape of a cross. And they wouldn't put it on the outside of the door. They would put it on the inside of the door so that while they're standing behind the door, 
they would know that there's protection and they would have faith in the power of that blood that is on the door. And whenever the destroyer and death passed over the homes in Egypt, they knew they could not enter those doors because God Himself stood where the blood was and became the door at that access point and said, you cannot enter here. There's safety and protection. And here's the thing. Not only is there safety from your sin and safety from death at the end of this life, but there's safety here and now in the trials and temptations and tribulations that you're currently going through. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are saved. When you're going through temptation and trial and struggle in this life now, you're not just getting saved on the other side. You can be saved when you run into Jesus now because He is at the door. He is the door. And He says, Satan, you're not getting into my child. They may be going through the fire, but as long as they stand in me and they put their faith in the blood of Christ, I have them protected, safe from all of these trials. Number two is provision. He's a promise for provision because in John 10, 9, he says, I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I love that language of going in and out because this is covenant terminology of the blessings for obedience that are in Deuteronomy 28. But here's the beauty of it. Say, man, I'd love to have those blessings that are in Deuteronomy 28, but I'm not not obedient to God like I should be. Do you understand that the only obedience that matters right now is the obedience that Christ brought to God the Father? And we're not standing in our own obedience. Yes, are we supposed to obey God? Absolutely. But our obedience comes from an empowerment within by the Holy Spirit. And the blessings of Abraham don't come upon me because I'm flawless and I'm perfectly obedient all the time. They come upon me because I'm in the flawless one who was perfectly obedient on my behalf. And I trust in him to provide for me because of that. I get to go in and out, not because of my obedience, but because of Christ's obedience. And you know what? That makes me an obedient man. It changes who I am. I get to go in and out and find pasture. In Deuteronomy 28, he says, you'll go in and out. You'll be blessed when you go in, and you'll be blessed when you come out. Your children will be blessed. Your cattle will be blessed. Some of you got cattle, so praise God. I like milk. And everything you put your hand to, your enemy will come at you one way and flee seven ways, but you will find pasture. You're going to find pasture. That's the promises of God in your life being fulfilled. You get to go in the door of Christ who says all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Him. And you get to receive the benefit of what He is. But here's what I want you to understand as well. And we've said this before in the Bread of Life sermon. But what you need way more than the things that God can give you is you need God Himself. He is the bread, my friend. He is the resurrection and life. He is the I am that I am. He is what you need when you need it. And if He's not giving what you want right now, it's because probably you don't need it. And what you need is is a relationship with Him. He is your provision. He will handle everything that you need when you need it, and you won't have to worry about it. You don't have to strive for things because Jesus knows what you need when you need it. He will be your provision. Thirdly is privilege. He says you get to go in and out. Now, if you go to a concert, you know, and you're leaving, they're like, hey, put this stamp on your hand, and you'll have in and out privileges. We'll know you've been here. You can come back in. You can come back out. And I think this is so important because sometimes I think as church folks, what we like is the going in and receiving from the Lord, but we don't necessarily like the going out and taking the Lord to others. 
But we have the privilege of this every single week, that we've got in and out prayer. We can come into the presence of God together to receive the Word of God, to receive, to, to eat at the pasture of God Himself, to be filled with the Spirit of God, to know His promises for our life, to be filled with the will of God, and then to go back out to somebody who has not yet been through the same doors that we've been through and say, let me take you by the hand. I want to show you to a doorway into a place of abundant life, and His name is Jesus Christ. And we get to take them back into the place that we just came out of. There's a privilege to this that God gives us. And we go in and out and we find pasture. Psalm 84.10 says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Can I tell you this? You all are called to be doorkeepers. You're called to open that door of Jesus Christ to more and more people and say, this is the way in. This is the way into abundant life. This is the way into everything that you've been longing for. And I got real preachy when I was making this sermon, so I felt like I needed alliteration. So number four, I went with pleasure. I had four Ps, praise God. That's true anointing right there. But in John 10.10, he says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now, the word that he uses here for life is zoe life. It's not bios. Bios is like biological life. It's, it's, it's your heart. It's your heartbeat. It's the fact that you're a living organism. But zoe is a different kind of life. And it's not necessarily definable because it's a life that is hidden. It's a life that you can't understand fully. And, and, and the point is, is that you can have money but have no peace. You can have a bed but you can have no rest. And you can have health but not have freedom. The point is, is that there's something more to life than just what's going on. There's a Zoe life that's deeper that only Jesus can bring. And it's not, this life is not counted by how much money is in the bank, by what car is in your driveway. It's not counted by how many achievements you have gathered together in your life, how many plaques you have on the wall, how many friends you got or followers on Facebook. It can't be counted up in that way because it is a deep inner life that comes from walking through the door of Jesus Christ and having a deep relationship with your Heavenly Father. And he says, in your presence is pleasure forevermore. And this is what we're all longing for, is this true relationship with Jesus and he says I've not just come to give life but I've come to give it more abundantly because I don't just give you peace but I give you a peace that passes all understanding I don't just give you joy but I give you a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory I don't just bless your life but I'm able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think according to the power that works within and so Jesus wants to work in your life he wants to open some doors this morning and I want you to bow your heads with me and I want you to take a moment just to consider what door is it that Jesus wants to close in your life this morning? What door on the darkness does Jesus want to close and what door is he opening to you right now? And so Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would come right now to every heart, to every mind. And Jesus, I pray that they would come to you. And I'm asking you, Lord, to close the doors on the darkness of sin and shame in any place where the enemy has gotten access into their lives. But Jesus, would you begin to open the door of provision and of protection and of your joy and abundance. God, you've come to give us all abundant life, and that's what we want. 
So with each person, with what they're going through, God, I just pray right now that they would be able to bring their brokenness to you. They would be able to bring their sin, their heartache, whatever it is. And Jesus, I'm asking you to come into that place. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. He stands at the door and he knocks. And he's saying, will you let me into that area of your life? Will you let me into all of your life? Will you let me come in and begin to change things, begin to heal things, begin to make a difference in that area of your life? So Jesus, I'm opening that door to you now. They're going to begin to sing and play. I want you to respond to the Lord how you see fit. If you want to continue to pray at your seat, I want you to continue to pray at your seat. But respond to the Lord because He's dealing with your heart right now about something. You can come to this altar and pray. You can stand and worship. But I want you to take a moment to let the Lord do what He needs to do in your life. And if you need prayer this morning for anything, you're definitely welcome to come forward and let us pray with you. But let's just take a moment to respond.